Hello and welcome to episode 135 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. Now, Stan, I'd like to know what a podcat is. Did you say podcat? A Did podcat? I? Meow. Shane, you be the judge. Meow. I, I was adjusting something on my desk, so I can't I can't uh, officially weigh in on that. Podcat is this small, adorable pet friend that you have around the house and tells you about movies. Uh, they talk about politics. There's jokes, and it's like hanging out with friends. Perfect. So like a Furby. Sounds much better than my actual cat that just kind of poops in a box, but... <laughs> My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the cat lover, Shane Beeps. What's up, Stan? Stan, you had uh, you had quite a weekend. I had a great weekend. I'm glad you had a great weekend. I'm exhausted, my friend. I'm so glad I have you two to lean on for this episode. I'm just going to sit here saying nothing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a peep. Not one word from me. Just like usual. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. Just the two of us, <laughs> no, Stan <it's> not. and Dave. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Also with us, boom, 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 it's boom, boom. the cat lover, Dave Harbarger. I did, yeah, cat people don't write me. I do like my cat. Her name is Molly. She's very sweet. She's a tiny, tiny calico. She's yeah, nice. She's very nice. Yep. Listeners, show us your cats. Send us, <laughs> send us pictures of your cats. You know we love them. Get in the Slack. Send us pictures of your cats. At the dive down on Twitter, all one word, tweet us pics of your cats. Yeah, please. But for now, it's that time. The Mana Traders monthly tournament for July was modern. One of the first large tournaments since Modern Horizons 2 came out around six weeks ago. And today we're going to talk about the tournament. We'll get a report from one of us that queued for the Swiss. Ooh. That's right. We also thought it would be a nice opportunity to... Just pull some results in general from as many tournaments as we could, get them into a few pivot tables, see how things are shaking out in modern right now. Before all that, though, we're going to talk quickly about the changes that happened and will continue to happen to Historic. And of course, let's take a minute for some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Jacob J. Also, big thanks to Tyrone Shoelaces for going up a tier. Is that their given name? Yeah. Yeah, it's of the it's of the Westminster shoelaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well known. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support the show while playing Magic via Mana Traders. If you sign up for a Mana Traders account with promo code the dive down, all one word, get 15% off your first two months magic rental service. Yeah, do that. Do both those things. I'm sending so many envelopes out next week, I can't wait. So many. Yeah, I've been emailing Dave PDFs, PD, label PDFs. Oh, yeah? You got those you got those mats going out? We got some mats going out. He's getting in there just under the wire before I put, like, literally tonight I'm going to print the PDFs that you send me, and then the printer is going in the box because I am moving houses in two days. going to be so smooth, Dave. TikTok. TikTok, Mr. Wick. Until then, let's jump over to the news desk. We've got Dave with the breakdown this week. Yeah, the breakdown this week, you know, we're just going to take a couple minutes because I think we're going to have a lot of modern meta to talk about now to check in on the newest format that we added to the dive down historic, because guess what stuff happened last week. Did you all hear about the stuff that happened last week? I've, I've been keeping up with the news, but, but you know, for the people who haven't kept up, please Dave, tell us what happened. Cause I, I mean, I know, but some might not know. 
Exactly. And so, you know, it was funny that we put out an episode about bannings last week on the same day that there suddenly was going to be a banned restricted announcement. We didn't know. We get no insider information from, from Watsi. Turned out that that BNR didn't have anything to do with Modern, which I think we were all relieved by. But I think that what happened was something that we all knew was going to come eventually, which is Brainstorm was suspended in <laughs> Historic. Surprise! Yeah, not banned. Suspended. Not banned yet. This this card this card is never coming back. Give me my rare wild cards back. Seriously, I think about four weeks from now we'll we'll be getting those back. Four, but four months. Oh, I hope it's not that long. What was the gap between like I think Omnath was suspended for like a number of months. Cool. I could use them. I I think I need some new rares to put into my uh my whatever's left of Phoenix deck. But anyway. So I think that we're not going to go super deep on what the ramifications of Brainstorm being banned in the format are, I don't think. I think there are a lot of people that have already done this in the last week. We just wanted to mention that, um, you know, I enjoyed playing Brainstorm the last few months from on a personal level in Phoenix, of course, mm -hmm. in Rogues, mm -hmm. uh, in other decks. But bottom line, I'm very glad that Brainstorm is gone for a few reasons. I think that it just turned out that it was too easy to put in too many good decks and it made too many decks too consistent. And honestly, it made turns take too long. It made my turns take too long. It made yeah. my opponent's turns take too long. It just felt onerous to play with and it was everywhere. <laughs> Dave, these arguments feel like they could be applied to a number of cards in a variety of formats. <laughs> mm, this is the worst though like how many times you have to sit there and think well well because you know everybody knows brainstorm is a big brain card and so everybody's yeah. like i gotta get my brainstorm right or it's just it's just gonna be over but stan what did you think what did you think about it well i think that there are also very few cards like brainstorm in the format for a number of reasons a for the reason you described in taking so long to resolve expressive reiteration is i think the only one that's still in that category mm-hmm um, but also, there's just nothing else in the format that comes close to a one-mana instant speed draw three. Nothing right. else can really keep up with that. You mean nothing else comes close to Ancestral Recall? Nothing else does. Yeah, and even in a, in a format like Historic, where everybody was kind of like, brainstorm, you know, imagine my voice is the upper and lower case typeface tweet thing right now. Brainstorm, brainstorm. is not good without fetches. Mm -hmm. I think deep down everybody knew that that wasn't true. Right. The brainstorm is plenty good with just a few ways to shuffle your deck. And if you look at, you know, the few fetch lands that we do have in um, Fabled Passage, specifically. Evolving Wilds. Yeah. I'm, well, I think some people kind of play it with Field of Ruin occasionally as well. Stormwing Entity plus Brainstorm. That's a sweet pair. Yeah. Another good one that goes with it. Uh, you know, the combination of Brainstorm and Faithless Looting, for example, it was plenty powerful. Plenty powerful to be able to do these things. You know, too powerful. Too powerful. And I think that the main thing I wanted to talk about really quickly, I'm just going to say, I still don't get why the Mystical Archives are legal and historic. Can I just <laughs> be like totally blunt about this? I think, I think that Wizards of the Coast should have known better about Brainstorm. I know they pre-banned some cards from, from that, but I think they should have known better. We shouldn't have had to go through this. Was it so bad, though? You just said you liked playing with it. You had fun, even though it took too long to resolve. And Dave, aren't you also... I think you make a, a compelling argument frequently where you're like, Wizards has to push the push the boundary like this, has to take chances now and then in order to make formats compelling and to give certain cards a shot uh, to let, let's see how that things actually play out. Okay. I think that those are fair, fair things. I will say with Brainstorm... I love my arguments. I love my own arguments. I, I love using your words against you. It is fair. Yeah. Here's the thing. Brainstorm is a known quantity, okay? And many of the cards in 
the historic archives are known quantities. Like, either they're cards that we knew were too powerful for other formats, and so we pre-banned them, or they're cards that we knew were going to be powerful going into this in the context of historic. Uh, I'm looking at you, Faithless Looting, since you're basically the last one that's standing at the moment. Um, But, I don't know. Maybe I'm just annoyed, but I will say that, yeah, I love playing with it, but I cannot tell you how much my interest in the historic format has dropped off since the, since the Mystic Goal archives have been added to the format. I was playing a ton before Strixhaven came out, a ton, and you know, maybe I'm busy with other life stuff, maybe Modern is just way more interesting right now, but I, I haven't opened Arena in two, two months, probably. Dang, so, your dailies, your gold. I'm 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 just I am I am letting those fall by the wayside as well. I'm just I'm liking paying attention to modern, liking playing modern, and I kind I kind of got I got off that treadmill, like that treadmill of like oh I got to keep up with my dailies, I got to keep up with my free gold, like I'm gonna fall behind somehow, and you know perhaps that's like the luxury of having our oodles of podcast dollars to throw at arena, but I know that if we do, you know if I want to focus back on arena that we are caught up well enough that I'm not going to fall too far behind. Yeah. I mean, and look at how many cards have already been banned from the historic, I mean, the archive time warp is on that list. I mean, I know that there were a bunch that were pre-banned. I feel like there was one, oh, one other one, right? Oh no, they banned Thassa's Oracle instead of banning uh, the pact. Yes. yes. So it's led to a lot of bannings just like that. And I think there'll be more. Like, I think the short list of like what Mizzix mastery of like faithless looting, you have any more that you, you put on that short list of cards that are probably pushing the, 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 the power level memory lapse, I think are the three that are on my mind. Still, I do think that Mizzix, Mizzix mastery is an, is a whole level worse than those other two cards, personally speaking, but, um, we'll see, I guess. I mean, without brainstorming the format, I think that there's a lot of, there's a chance for a lot of new things to happen or a lot of old decks to come back. And so I guess we'll just see if that happens, but I just don't understand how we ended up in a place where Lightning Bolt is worse than, or is more problematic for a format than Brainstorm is, mm-hmm. honestly. <laughs> or like Mizzix Mastery, just like the stuff where it's just like the, the graveyard strategies, while not, I think, I guess it depends on what you want to define a graveyard strategy, but even some of the ones that are just like reanimating the the Praetors or something like that. I think there's a lot of decks that are just doing that and doing it pretty darn well. And every time I face down a deck like that, that just does it on turn three or turn four, I'm like, well, why is why is Mizzix Mastery in the format? That seems maybe a little bit too good for Historic. I just miss when Historic really felt like it was about the last like three or four years of cards. Like before Strixhaven came like, out, when it was like Arena's Pioneer, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and I enjoy. I mean, I know that Jumpstart made it not about that either. So there's a bunch of weird stuff that happened with Jumpstart, but I felt like maybe it's just because of when I got into the format, but it felt a lot more exciting towards the end of last year, or the beginning of this year, than it has ever since those cards dropped. And I was excited to play with some of those cards again because, like, I'm not going to get to play with Brainstorm in any formats, you know. So I have good news for you guys. I am here to tell you. That not only have I still continued to play Historic basically on a daily basis, I think the format is awesome right now. In in the way that post-ban formats so frequently are. Where you have a couple of mainstay archetypes that are super familiar and have been good in the past and kind of felt like they got pushed out by the wayside. In addition to a semi-Wild West environment where I'm just running into all sorts of crazy stuff. Such as black-white humans, four-color elementals, a bunch of Boros mid-range decks... Um, and I also have a surprise for you guys just today. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, I have a surprise for you too, so you go first. 
The reason why I said I needed 10 minutes before we can record. Is to make Mythic? Is to hit Mythic. No, not again. Wow, what a How weekend. do you have the time for this? I just posted the screenshot for you guys. And, and not only did I hit Mythic, this is the best part. This is the part that you're really going to be proud of. I did it with a brew. Ooh. Okay. In best of three. Uh, it's an Is It Control deck that kind of looks like a shell of Is It Phoenix, plus some cards from Jeskai Control, Stripping White, a bunch of adventure cards, Bright Dragon... Stormwing Entity, Expressive Iteration, and uh, Prismari Commands, and like Shock and Opt. And uh, I got like an 80% win rate, just climbed up Diamond like crazy. <laughs> Sweet. Wow, interesting. I'd love to see that list. I think we should post that list in the show notes today so that people can see it for sure. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do now is like post some screenshots and tag Fire Shoes and Arena Decklist and like the President and Library of Congress and try to get it retweeted as often as I can. Oh, yeah, that that was definitely a way to do it because, you know, people don't pay attention to our Twitter. <laughs> this is how you get people to our Twitter. Stan, please tweet it from the Dive Down account. No, I know. It's fine. No, from Stan, Stan from wants Stan. That's fine. his impressions. <laughs> yeah, here's, I know. He wants his thing. own clout. It, it's not just about my clout. I, I looked at the top eight from an Inside Esports Historic Invitational Qualifier that happened this weekend. I just want to read off these deck lists to you guys and point yeah, out. please. Point out the Mystical Archive cards that are still present and just kind of hear your reactions to that. So this is a top eight and not necessarily who won. I think it's kind of just based on records. Jund Food. Esper Aggro, which the deck list is basically an in-soul artifact deck. Sweet. I, I kid Rise. you not with that new black staff from the D&D set. Man, I really wanted to talk about that on the, the spoiler episode and I just, we didn't have time. But I definitely have my eye on it as a just a one mana like reusable animate thing. It seems seems powerful. Yeah, that card's popping up in the Pioneer version of Insole as well. We also got two copies of Dragonstorm, Jeskai Control, Colorless Ramp, which is like that Karn, mm-hmm. you know, kind of control deck. Green Black Stompy, and then another copy of Junt Food. And among those, the archive cards that I saw in these lists were Abundant Harvest. Doomblade, Faithless Looting, Memory Lapse, Lightning Helix, Day of Judgment, Mizzix's Mastery, and Inquisition of Kozilek. Do you feel like other than Mastery and Faithless and Memory Lapse, is the format worse off because we have Abundant Harvest or Doomblade or Helix? Like, aren't some of those archive cards really fun and good additions to the format? They're all good cards. It's just I felt like it made the format suddenly overnight about something different from what it was before. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's part of the thing that bummed me out the most, I think, about it. And if you look at this list, these cards are still staples. You know, Inquisition. I mean, Inquisition's maybe border, borderline-ish for me sometimes, I guess, when I think about it. But these are just all really good cards. So the one that worries me the most is Mizzet's Mastery, because I just think it leads to, like, really broken stuff happening. So that's probably the one that I would expect to go at some point in the future, and I guess we'll see what happens from there. But I can tell you one thing. In Chapter 2 of the the breakdown here, I don't think this is going to matter for very long. <laughs> because unfortunately, what is about to happen is another huge drop, I think, is about to happen that's going to really affect uh, affect Historic. And boy, do I have thoughts about this. Because... Um, Speaking of totally messing things up like historic and announcements, Wizards accidentally posted a page announcing a new product for Arena about a week before they were supposed to announce it. So people got screen grabs of a page that's now down for a product called 
Historic Horizons. I don't really want to talk about leaks that much, but this was a leak by them, so I feel yeah. a little bit better about it. Now, Stan, the other Faith. thing of this is that if you search for Historic Horizons on Google, you get the Wizards page with the intro copy as a result on Google. It's no. the number three result below two people who wrote about the leak. Stan, you work on the internet. I use the tools Sh- of the internet every day. Shouldn't this be set up as a no index, no follow right now so that it doesn't show up in search engines? Or is there some reason that they're doing that to get SC- to, so that there's so it's searchable immediately? You know what that tells me is that the Wizards website has this incredible domain authority and Google is just constantly crawling their sites and updating their sitemap because if they actually launched this page and then took it down within minutes, there's no reason it should already be indexed. Mm-hmm. So really, really powerful tool that uh, wizards.com is. But shouldn't they have gone back and, tag- and tagged it and said, we don't want this indexed anymore? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think they could have gone into their Google Search Console account and tried to de-index the page there. This is, this is what you do with announcements that go sideways, guys. They don't have me on their digital marketing team. I applied. They didn't even call back. I don't think they even opened up my resume. Wizards, call Stan if you want to learn about this kind of stuff. It's P- Stan is the perfect combination of digital content understanding and PR background. Please get at him. And love of magic, most important. Yeah, love of magic, too, of course, of course, of course. So, look, the, the, the key thing about this is that it says hundreds of cards. It's going to add hundreds of cards to the formats through the jumpstart lens Mm -hmm. from Modern Horizons MH2 and more, including 31 digital-only cards. That sentence is so freaking terrifying to me (laughs) because every individual clause of that sentence is scary. So, So let's break it down for a minute. The first clause of that sentence, <laughs> hundreds of cards. It's going to have a massive impact. Okay, I, I thought about this a little bit more, and it doesn't say anywhere that it's hundreds of cards that are new to Historic. It says that it's hundreds of cards that are going to be in Jumpstart. So I mm-hmm. think that that one is a little bit less scary than it was to me when I first read it, and was like, oh my god, they're adding two or three. They're going to add another full set to Historic. Mm-hmm. They may, but it's not a guarantee, I think. There might be cards that are from current sets that are in these jumpstart bundles or whatever they call them, the, the theme packs. So, okay, we're going to turn the anxiety on that one down a little bit. Cards from Too Modern Horizons. <laughs> Too late. My, I can turn my anxiety down as yours. I'm up, up here. Go back down. I'm up here, Dave. So cards from Modern Horizon and Modern Horizon 2. It makes me feel like these cards are going to be super powerful and you will need to get them as well. Like, I feel like there's going to be tons of must-gets. Yeah. Still can't have Lightning Bolt, because that's not in Modern Horizons. But, like, what are we talking about here from this? I mean, are we talking about Season Pyromancer, which is, like, a card that is very good but doesn't really scare me that much? Or are we talking about Force of Negation? Are we talking about Unholy Heat? Are we talking about Dragon's Rage Channeler? Do you want to play against Dragon's Rage Channeler in Historic? Sure. Probably not. Do you? Do you? <laughs> well, just think of the list of bangers like Renin Six. Are we going to put Renin Six into Historic? Like Dave, we're getting thirty-one digital only cards. We're getting Renin Seven, my friend. Oh, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Renin Six, but that—that's my last one. But Stan, what what do you guys think about this Modern Horizons angle? If we look at the track record of Modern Horizons cards that have entered Historic, because that has happened through Historic anthologies, and you know, Abundant Harvest was in the archive. It's always the bottom of the barrel. So that's why I think, A, your clause about you know hundreds of cards not being something we need to panic over is very apt. But on top of that, I think we'll probably have a lot of nothing 
and then, you know, a handful, five to ten cards that are, in fact, quite good. And maybe that's okay. Yeah, but it does worry me. You know that they're going to put something in that really throw things, throws things off. Um, we were going to get... All right, I'll, I'll stop wildly speculating about these. But that is kind of like, okay, these are really highly powerful cards coming into the format if they're picking from those two sets. Because we've seen what kind of impact they have on sets like Modern itself. Next up, it's a Jumpstart set. Does everybody remember how it went with Jumpstart last year? Yeah. Either, either you got something random or you spent some wild cards. Basically, you can only spend wild cards, though, because the packs aren't available in the store. You have to play the event in order to get the pack. So how many times are you yeah. going to draft Jumpstart right. to be able to get to actually pull these out of packs? This is like a huge wild card buy-in, basically, if there are good cards in it. There's going to be some good cards in it. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the way that, what, Wizards, Wizards makes people or in- incentivizes people spending money, right? Like, if, if for print, it's Modern Horizons, and for digital, it's Historic Horizons. That's, like, that's the name of the game, right, is make people spend their money to keep up with the format. Yeah, but, it's, but this is even one worse, right? Because you can't go and buy 45 packs of Jumpstart. Yeah, you got to buy 45 packs of something else and then get the get wild, wild cards, cards and then do it. So, like, what are we doing? And right. then the last one is digital only cards. Digital only cards. Now, I 31, did 31, dig- which is interesting. That's like so specific. Yeah. Now, I did some digging on this and I, I don't remember where I read this, but I believe that someone confirmed that these are digital only cards in the sense that they are cards that do not work in paper. They're not cards that could be paper cards that are only for Arena, that some portion of them will be cards that only work in a digital setting. Now, what does that mean? Triple-sided. That does mean something like triple-sided. Or it could mean something like this card, when it comes into play, puts a copy of a different card into your deck. Like, think about Hearthstone mechanics. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that 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 aren't actually replicable in paper. And those are popular. Like, they have those in uh, Runeterra, where it's like the, the sort of like the create a random card or mm-hmm. pick from this like these 15 cards that you could possibly get type thing and yeah. sort of the the random generation element that's fine for them you know what i mean because they are digital games the thing that really really makes me sad about this is that i've been someone who has long been hoping that they were going to bring historic to paper mm-hmm. and now if there's 31 yeah. cards guaranteed a few of them will be good that are not possibly brought to paper it means that historic is is not coming to paper, most likely. And now we don't have any middle format. Pioneer's effect is kind of dying. Although if you look at Twitter and see the results of the challenges, people are pretty the people who are into Pioneer are still pretty into it. So maybe maybe that's what it is. But I was hopeful that Historic would be kind of like the the middle school sized uh paper format. And this makes me think there's just no way that's gonna be the case. And you know we're kind of we're we're uh brainstorming a little bit about what could be in these digital cards like how how different they will be from like a paper equivalent and also like their power level but i think what you're saying dave to the point is that if you literally cannot play the format in paper then it's not gonna be something that is possible to ever do right and that's definitely an issue i think both for the format but also for watsi because they are kind of saying we are putting all of our efforts into this digital platform and we're not going to have the equivalent of that format in paper and i think it's actually maybe leaving something on the table potentially because then you're just saying we're never going to be able to replicate this arena format in paper like you can with standard or like you can with draft yeah bums me out 
to be honest, because I, I think I have thought for a while at different points in time that Historic is pretty fun, even though the, the list is super random. But all they need to do is print a, print a, a set that has all these random cards in it. And then there you go. You say it's these sets plus this. And now we know what the Historic list is. But um, yeah, it makes me worried. Like I thought that maybe we were going to get Historic to a good place with Brainstorm gone. But now I feel like, you know, this set is supposed to come out on August 12th or something like that. It's coming soon. And it's going to be another massive upheaval. Maybe we'll get upheaval because that was a Modern Horizons card. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I mean, we have a couple choices here, right? Like, we can either choose to continue to try to be excited about Historic. And I think it's interesting. Like, Historic filled an interesting void that we had in like our, our enjoyment of Modern, perhaps. Like, I think we were all were like, yeah, like Modern's cool and stuff like that, but it feels pretty samey and it's been pretty stable. And then we had Modern Horizons 2 to sort of rekindle all of our interest and listener interest and streamer interest and everything in the format. Right. And now we can choose to be excited about historic getting a similar influx of cards. Right. And, and sort of try to ignore the economic impact of the, the digital black box of arena. Like it's pretty tempting to say like, yeah, sure. We spent hundreds of dollars on horizons two cards, but if we really wanted to, we could get, you know, 70% of that back out pretty easily. But it's not the case with Arena, and it always feels kind of captive, and it always feels like kind of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down for giving it a try if it's good. I think it's important to recognize that part of Magic is going to be digital going forward, and so I'll definitely be keeping an eye on it, and I wouldn't be surprised if I find my way into one or two decks in this new era that comes after this. But um, it does seem like a lot of it's a lot of change and a lot of upheaval to get there, I feel like. And I'm bummed it's not that there's never going to be like a GP for historic where we can be like, okay, everybody's had fun with this on, on Arena for a long time. Now let's you know what? see all these you know what, guys? Never say never. Yeah. Yeah. For re- no, for real. Not only because these digital only cards have to be good enough that people want to play them, there's already digital only cards on Arena that just see no play because they're like intro pack quality cards. Yeah. There's a couple that might see play. But they also function like normal magic cards. Like they function like paper magic cards. So, and how do we know that these ones won't? I, I I read a tweet from somebody that that had a source. Like maybe it's a it's this is more rumor than anything else. But I think that this is them dabbling with more digitally based mechanics. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll say about why we should never say never is the fact that arenas on our phones and you can play it on tablets or any room with Wi-Fi, maybe there's a future where we have our digital room at GPs where you can play arena against people on your phone or like a computer that you bring with you, or maybe they have stations for PCs that you just log into your account. That is the way a lot of other games work when they have gatherings or cons around them. And there's no reason that that couldn't happen here. You're you're right, for sure. It'll be like like an internet cafe. Yeah. You guys remember internet cafes? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to go to those because one time my parents picked me up and the, the things they saw was crazy <laughs> was it was it clove cigarettes is that it what they like, saw yeah it was like clove cigarettes and i was 13 or 14 and they're like stan you are never going back those are the days when you were allowed to smoke cigarettes indoors as well all right well i felt cool i if you guys ever want to hear what i sound like when i'm mad like this is what i sound like when i'm mad which is pretty much the same thing as i sound like when i'm not mad but just <laughs> a little hard. bit faster talking but There's like been a few times when i've wondered if dave's mad at me <laughs> but you know like this this historic thing does have me a little bit more down on it than up on it, but 
I like Arena as a client, and so I'm definitely gonna gonna keep trying to get into it. And Stan, you say the format's good right now, so you know maybe once my life gets settled down a little bit, I'll be able to hop back on a little bit more concertedly. But that's it. That's for the that's the news for Historic this week. Um, let us know what you're all thinking about Historic if you have a chance. We'd love to hear where everybody's at at the moment, and. Um, you know, I think modern is so interesting and, and shaking out right now that we'll be spending a good amount of time on that over the upcoming weeks. But you never know. We'll probably do some kind of spoiler app around this Horizon set whenever it comes out, this historic Horizon set, just to capture the highlights because we love spoiler apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're going to hop over to talking about the continuing shakeups and large tournament that happened this weekend for modern. Uh by our sponsors, Mana Traders, their excellent series of events, and we're going to get a live on-the-ground story from one of us. Stay tuned. So as we mentioned in the intro, this month's Mana Traders tournament series was modern, and a certain frequent guest on the dive down, Stanislav, got to play in the Swiss. I even had a featured match. I, you know, welcome people to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give everything away. We're going to get to that in a little bit. We'll get to that in a little bit. Let's start by taking a look at the numbers a little bit for the tournament. We had a lot of data, 213 players qualified. And as soon as decks were submitted, uh, or uh, as soon as they were due and submitted on Friday afternoon, the entire trove of deck lists was released to the public. Do we think this is the biggest tournament to happen since MH2 has come out? The biggest broadest most like a gp kind of thing that we've had some of the qualifiers or excuse me some of the uh the weekend challenges been like hundreds of folks they are but but this is like imagine that this is day two like sure that's what that's what this is so there were there were i think thousands of people maybe playing or maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred people playing in the qualifying rounds that could win Mm -hmm. out down to this 230 people qualify so really what we're looking at is a gp day two in a lot of ways right here. So kind of how I've always thought about these Mana Traders tournaments. Very astute, Dave. So as soon as we had the deck list from all 213 players, um, as usual, Bamzing, who is the unofficial friend of the pod, I, I, I wonder <laughs> if they know that we exist. I was just going to say, Bamzing, if you happen to listen or if someone you know listens and wants to reach out, email us. <laughs> We, or tweet I, us. I, I'd love to talk, man, but we need to tweet at you because we, we are starting to use your breakdowns quite a bit. So we really appreciate the work that goes into them. Um, now, we do have our own pivot tables a little bit for this week, too. Oh, but, yeah. But yes. Yes. we appreciate the, the starting point. It's a team effort, for sure. And, um, so and we'll, Bamzing's on the team. <laughs> yeah. Bamzing doesn't, doesn't know, know it. it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Lead-off hitter. So with Bamzing's help, uh, we basically made a list of every deck type in the tournament and we have a little pie chart so let's talk about some of the biggest slices of that pie and maybe really highlight the decks that had at least three copies because there's a good number of those the biggest chunk with 30 decks mono white hammer hmm yep it's interesting stan uh you mentioned earlier in the intro to the episode this is kind of like a data-driven uh, data-focused episode, especially in the dive-down section. And folks, remember what Stan's saying in this uh, Mana Traders breakdown as we'll talk about kind of a larger modern breakdown later on and see how, how closely mm-hmm. they may uh, they may match up or diverge. Very cool. 
Yeah, Hammer, 13.5% of the field uh, in the Swiss. So pretty big. Huge, but not the hugest that we've seen. You know, generally the top deck is around 10 to 12 to 13% we found. And then when we start to feel like things are scary, that's when we start to see things that are like 19, 18%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so Hammer's big, not scary well, big yet. Yeah. You know, about half of that. So the next biggest chunk was Is It Tempo, the blue red Merc Tide deck. 16 copies, 7%. Mm-hmm. Pretty big drop off. Yeah. Probably not surprising, though, that these are, you know, in the top decks for the weekend. I think we not could have all. all anticipated that. This one, this third place by popularity deck is a little bit of a surprise for me. Even though I've been talking about how good it is, I didn't know quite how popular it was. And that's Grieving End, 14 copies, 6%. Now, it is a tie, by the way, before we say that. There's two decks at 6.3%. It's Grieving End and Teamer Footfalls are both So our, our decks. Cascade decks. Cascade, right, basically. not decks. Yeah, and if you add them together, it's 28. It's almost the same amount. I know they're different decks. Don't Very write different me. decks. Don't email yeah. me. But um, they're, you know, Cascade decks would be 28, so it would be almost the same as Hammer. So 12%, yeah, 12.6. So Stan, just uh, for the listener's sake, of course, not for mine, Grieving End is literally just Living End, but with Grief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also have noticed that there's some subtleties in there as well. Like, because why not play pitch cards when right. you're going to get them back with Living End? Totally. I've even I think I faced down Solitudes in that deck. It's just a lot of free spells and then a lot of cyclers and Living End. Um, so Teamer Footfalls, uh, which is the deck that I played after that, and then eleven copies, five percent Grixis Darcy. So this is like. A uh, Grixis Luris deck with Dragon Rage Channeler, Snapcaster Mage, um, and Ragavan. Yeah, this one was a surprise to me because I feel like a week and a half ago or so, this deck was kind of not on the map. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense once you look at the deck list, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. This um, Because I was going through all of the challenges and uh, prelims, it's funny that the Grixis Luris deck has been creeping up more in the prelims than it has been in the challenges. And now I think we're starting to see it in the challenges as well. Uh, we, I think there's like a breaking news of like the super qualifier event that took place or super challenge or something like that. And there, I think there was a lot of Grixis Luris in that top eight, especially. Uh, so it's definitely an up and comer. And I don't know if you all knew the deck list or have seen the deck list, but the blue splash seems pretty light. Right, like it's pretty much it's like a Rakdos list with like maybe like a seal of removal and like some snaps and stuff like that. Typically, right? Mm-hmm. Expressive iteration, yeah. Known good card, mm-hmm. almost as good as Brainstorm. Seems to be that way, given how many pieces are playing. I think I've seen expressive iteration in Legacy recently, which is a little bit of a surprise to me too. I believe it. All right, um, eleven copies, red black Darcy, three percent. Oh no, I'm sorry, I missed one. Eleven copies is Mill um, with three point six percent of the field. So blue black Mill. After that, eight copies, red, black, Darcy, so Rakdos Luris. Um, and then next after this Grixis Dar- Darcy deck, eight copies was blue, black, mill, 3.6%. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about this deck last week. It's really on the upswing. It's good. You know, it's good enough to be the sixth sixth meta deck in a Grand Prix day two. I mean, it does, it does a couple of things, right? Where it's just like, it does... It has its own game plan that is effective by and large in its lonesome, and then it completely hoses Hammer, which is the top tier deck. Why does it hose Hammer so much? Just 
you know, for someone to tell someone that might not oh, know. Oh, this, 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 yeah, the CMC is, the CMC is of Mono White Hammer is so low that the new spell, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, on average will hit like 32 cards. Right. And that's the main, cast. the main reason. But it also yeah. has a lot of removal that hits Hammer stuff too, yeah, right? Exactly. It's just like, you know, it's, it's Hammer, like when I'm playing Hammer, um, and I played it this week in paper, went to a store for the first time since last February, and it ruled. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh, I faced down a, con- a four-color control deck. And let me tell you what, I don't like face. also And also, Demir Rogues, which is uh, sort of a mill-ish deck. And let me tell you what, I don't like playing against Drawn the Lock. I don't like playing against <laughs> counter spells. Right. All that kind of stuff is not fun. For you. Yeah, right. Uh, followed Following mill... Red, black, Darcy, so like Rakdos, Luris, seven copies, 3%. So we got a lot of different different Darcy decks here. We got your Murktide deck with a bunch of the format. Then we got Grixis, Red, Black as the two, two other ones. And then there's even more pretty close to the top of the metagame as well. Yeah, we're, and we're about to get to those. Three different decks, six copies, just under 3%. Amulet Titan, Eldrazi Tron, and Mardu Darcy. Yeah, the real wild card of the weekend is Mardu Darcy, which basically is the red-black deck, but with Prismatic Ending and Kaya's Guile, right? Mostly, and maybe some paths, but that's kind of it. Yeah. So are we just full-on... I mean, I know that we're emulating another person's sort of spreadsheet. Are we just full-on calling these Darcy lists now? They're no longer Luris lists. This is not Mardu Luris. This is Mardu Dragon's Rage Channeler. Truth be told... Can I be honest with you guys? My, yeah, please. My two best friends. I demand honesty. I, I sort of hate that name, Darcy, for Dragon's Rage Channeler. You guys gave me a bunch of garbage a couple of weeks ago because I wouldn't call it no, Darcy it, it on a show. It was just funny because you weren't. It's because it's funny because you weren't, Dave. And now I switched because I thought you guys thought it was fine. I hate it. I hate it too. Mostly because oh, I had a sorry Spike. Mostly because I had a uh, someone broke my heart whose name was Darcy when I was ten. <sighs> You know, I mean, I, I like DRC. It's like splits. It splits the difference. Yeah, it's DRC. All right, fine. From now on, the dive down we'll call it DRC. Uh, but anyway, this list that Stan just finished reading comprises, just so everybody is tracking along at home, comprises just about fifty percent of the meta meta game. FYI, it's just a little more than fifty percent of the decks. You mean like this red black DRC core? No, all of the, the like where we just stopped reading deck lists, starting gotcha. from Mono White Hammer down to where we just got to with copy the three copies, the three decks that had six copies in the metagame. That's about fifty percent of the of the decks that were totally in there. So, in some ways, you know, I, I would love to point out really quickly that we've used this cutoff before to say like, hey, how do we feel about a metagame depending on how many decks have snuck into you know. There's a couple of different heuristics that we kind of use, right? Like one is how many decks have snuck into the top half of the metagame in a uh, qualified kind of st- state like this, like a day two or something like that. The other one is, are the one-offs that are in this metagame bigger than the biggest deck, which we kind of use sometimes to go as well. And so it's worth pointing out that there were 42 single decks mm-hmm. that were in this, in this metagame as well. So generally we kind of think of those as like, signs that the metagame is okay but this is real like anecdotal kind of stuff it's just how we how we've kind of judged things in past conversations so there's a lot of decks in this top 50 percent. by my count there's one two three four five there's 10 different decks in the top 50 percent of the metagame although they do kind of fold into each other if you don't if you don't watch out for it i just want to mention this mardu darcy deck it's been championed pretty heavily by zach allen Mm -hmm. and the argument that zach was making was red black game one is really strong against Hammer. 
But games two and three post-board, Hammer can bring in Sanctifier on VAC, which absolutely hoses Rakdos decks, period. And the idea with going Mardu, and maybe the, maybe this is also true of the Grixis decks, is that you can play Interaction, either Seal Removal or Prismatic Ending, that can then deal with Sanctifier, in fact, and, and sort of clear the way for you know a big swing from a Kroxa or a couple Channelers or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I will say, you know, spoiling some of our later observations, because we could talk some more about the Mardu list later. But um, by my count, there were four different Mardu decks. So there were six decks that were entered into this day two as the Mardu Darcy decks. Four of them were placed between uh, ninth place and 32nd place by my count four of them it might even have been 24th place like it was they were very close to having multiple of those decks top eight one of them finished in ninth place i think one finished in 15th one finished in 18th and i think one was in the late late 20s so it it was it actually had a really strong showing this weekend i think so potentially a good medical yeah i agree with the take that like you need something to get rid of sanctifier and vec Mm -hmm. for sure all right should we just list off without numbers the rest of these decks the five the three to five copies sure there's some interesting stuff in here four color elementals jeskai breach station jeskai control jund i'm not sure what that is is that like Mm -hmm. the three color red black green mid-range interesting uh boros burn was in here boros burn also had a reasonably strong showing because when i was looking through that kind of second tier of placements there were at least two decks that were in the top 16 that were were red white burn Four color Velamachus, Ad Nauseum, Green White Heliod, which is a deck we don't hear about a lot anymore, at least, and Glimpse of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then as yeah, they. No, no, we still are operating in an online environment. Yeah, yeah. For uh, Green White Heliod. And Dave, I think you mentioned this briefly, but there were 42 different decks with just a single copy, about 42. And, you know, as a category, that other bucket. That's almost 19% of the field. So that's still bigger than the most popular deck, Hammer. It's actually bigger than Hammer and Merktide put together. It's it's not bigger than, it's close to bigger than. So there's 46 decks between Merktide and Hammer. Oh. There's 42 decks that were singles. But the point, I think your point still stands. There was a lot of people who were willing to bring not the top of the meta decks. Now, how did they do? We'll talk about that in a minute. But... Um, now, I think there was room for some spicy things here still, even if the top of this metagame really is starting to consolidate. You know, since Modern Horizons 2 has come out, and maybe, I don't know if you want to transfer over to kind of our impressions of what we're looking at here, but the things that seem to lead the meta right now are your Urza Saga decks, your uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler decks, and your Cascade decks are a big part of the meta, kind of no matter how you slice it, right? Totally. Oh, yeah. Do you I think, think you have talk- to pick one of those decks to do well? Or do you think that, that there's... I mean, this metagame would show me that there's room for a lot of other decks to at least be considered to be played. The results, I think, were pretty heavily leaning towards a lot of these decks, but... I think that... I don't know if you have to play one of these decks, but I think that the way that these decks are operating are so hyper-efficient right now that I think whatever deck you, you do play has to match up against the threats that are being presented or even the the counter inter- the counter magic interaction that's being presented in a way that keeps you on pace with them right and i think right now there might just be the case that the density of threats is in the decks we've talked about 
right? So I, I don't know if it's a matter, it's kind of like a chicken or egg, right? Like, do you need to play these decks or are these the type of decks that people seem to figure out ways to fight when they don't necessarily have the efficiency to do so? Yeah, and more on all this later because Shane, of course, had said that he has a wider metagame mm-hmm. uh, analysis that includes this tournament and also prelims and challenges. Oh, it doesn't include this tournament, it's just prelims and challenges? Yeah, it's just a separate one. Okay. And I, want, I thought it'd be interesting to contrast them as well. That's great. So, Stan, where do you want to go next with looking at mana traders? Well, we have the top eight, and we know who the winner is. I, I did have one last thought for your question about whether or not this these are the decks we need to play. I think it's a very uh, proactive and low-to-the-ground strategy, even among the controlling decks. And I think if you look at things like Is It Tempo, all of their interaction is still two or three mana. Mm-hmm. And I think there isn't a lot of room for, you know, like, cryptic command decks right now or or beyond that. One of the prominent decks is running Cryptic Command, though, yeah? Right, but it's not a Cryptic Command deck. It's just that Footfalls, you need to have like a lot of high CMC interaction. Uh-huh. And, and Cryptic Command isn't like one of the strongest cards in that deck by any means. Okay, interesting to know. Why don't you take us through the top eight? Top eight, in no particular order. Will Kruger on Mono White Hammer. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to start because they won. Excellent Magic Online player and actually Chicago local. That's right. Will Kruger who uh, screen name is X whale mm-hmm. shows up all over the place, you know, great player. We hear about him at like energy and stuff like that quite a bit as well. When there's paper tournaments going on. Yeah. We played with him at that, of at that SCG regionals before the pandemic happened. He's, he's buddies with our judge, Jack mm-hmm. wills, um, a notable local. Maybe we can get him on the pod one day. It's a good idea. Will, if you're out there, get at us. Um, he notably used to be a very big Titan player. Right. Bought Amulet Titan from, from Will previously. You got to follow those good decks, Dave. Will's list was pretty stock as far as hammer decks go. I thought it was interesting that, you know, to fight the mirror, they have, what is that, like Manriki Guzari? What's oh, that? yeah. Interesting that that's popping up. What's that card called? It's what it called. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's an equipment that, like, when you you can tap the creature, it's equipped to to destroy another equipment. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately, it costs two mana, so you cannot get it with Urza Saga. That'd be be so good. It'd mm. be like an Urza Saga race. You can get it with Steel Shaper's gift, though, right? Oh, you can, my which friend. Is, which is still just like a one or two of, and you can also get it with Stoneforge. Yes, that's important. Uh, Will also posted on their Twitter um, a, a cool little document kind of describing his thought process on the construction of Hammer right now. So I think if you want to see someone else's insights on how they think about Hammer and building it and what cards you know they're liking in it, uh, you, you could do worse than checking out uh, their tweets. Yeah. And I believe what what their Twitter is, is it literally X-Whale? I think so. No, it's, it's Will underscore Kruger, K-R-U-E-G-E-R. Yeah. All right, up next in this top eight, we got Corrado DeCio on another copy of Mono White Hammer. We also got Gerardo D'Elia on Is It Murktide? Mm-hmm. Cole Duster on Grixis Lyris. We had Nicole de Prada Ferrao. Ferrao? I apologize, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that last name, but they played Dredge. They just sort of snuck in, like stealing someone else's top eight seat on Dredge here? Maybe. Or maybe they did well. I think they were the only dredge player in the tournament. Yes, they were the only dredge player in the tournament. So when I was talking about one of that did well, turns out dredge managed to get there even against a field full of Sanctifier Invex somehow. Not sure if they Madness. just dodged them or what, but um, the one interesting thing, the thing that I thought was super interesting about uh, Nicola's 
build is that they were running three burning inquiry, which is a card that I don't think I've remembered ever seeing in dredge, but interesting kind of way to go to get some extra discard, even though it's random. Mm-hmm. It is powerful in that way. It's kind of, you know, it throws three cards in the bin on turn one, and it has the extra um, benefit of potentially nerfing your opponent if they mull hard into a sideboard card, card yeah. in post games. It's smart. Um, also interesting on this, this is not the four color build splashing white for Thrilling Discovery. It's just the Cathartic Reunion and three Burning Inquiries and the Shriek Horns to kind of get this thing going. Um, they're leaning pretty hard on like that mid game of Hawks of Agonis. It looks like there's three Ox, only one Conflagrate. I like the inclusion of Dark Blast here because of the X ones that are in the format. It's a good way to uh, hit a creature with an instant speed and get your Dredge engine online uh, as early as you know turn one, and then on turn two you're untapping to uh, to Dredge that Dark Blast. There's a lot of little things. I'm surprised there's only one, honestly. Dark Blast. It's the kind of thing I would. I would maybe want even more of or uh, access to more than one, but only one in the 75 here. Yeah, I've seen those generally in the past when people have decided Dark Blast was good. They've done one in the main and one or two in the side, but maybe there's just not space right now. All right, moving on. Julian Jack- Jakobowitz on Black White Hammer. So this is basically exactly like Mono White Hammer, except they have four Thoughtseize in the sideboard and no yeah, other common- black cards. Somewhat common variation of the Hammer decks, recently at least. I don't know if people have been doing it as much. Uh, this is another well-known Magic Online grinder. I think this is Juju Bean 2004 mm-hmm. is their screen name. And uh, yeah, they do quite well quite often on lots of different events. Another notable include in their sideboard was a single copy of Cauldra Complete. They stated in their, twi- in their Twitter that they brought it in literally every matchup. Like they, they were continually bringing this card in. They stated, uh, it's funny that it doesn't rely on you being a uh, <laughs> uh, Orzov deck to play Cauldra Complete. Uh, they also do have a cranial plating in the main. So yeah. they're liking a few different uh, artifacts than, than other folks are. They're also teching the single Gaia's Blessing, just hoping that it doesn't get Tasha's hideous laughter exiled and that just gets milled so they can survive against mill once or twice, perhaps. For sure. Uh, Sky Sweeney on Grixis Shadow, featuring two copies of Grim Lavamancer in their main deck, made top eight of Mana Traders. Grim Lavamancer. Kind of interesting, you know, in a field full of Ragavans and, you know, Dragon Ridge channelers that aren't delirious, Grim Lavamancer will clean up a board. Yeah. It's not a card you see often these days because it's a little slow. Yeah. But um, I like the idea of trying to use it like you said, against all these small creatures, I mean, if they can't, they literally can't play a Dragon's Rage Channeler when you have Grim Lava Mancer up unless they have Delirium already, which sometimes you need your Dragon Rage Channeler to get you to Delirium. So there is a little bit of that, like, oh, I have to wait to play one of the best cards in my deck kind of game of chicken. Um, and then, yeah, it hits Ragavan. It does it at instant speed. Like, there's a lot of different angles here. It probably does a lot against Hammer Time. You know, because since Hammer Time equips at instant speed, being able to um, kind of have onboard tricks that can target the creatures that they tend to equip to is really good. It can hit a giver of runes in that matchup as well really easily. So if someone gets a giver online, you can take them out. Seems like a reasonable card to think about using right now. And then finally, Bart Van Etten on, is it Merktide to round out our top eight? So we got Hammer, 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 Merktide, Merktide. Grixis Shadow, Grixis Lurus, which are like, you know, close-ish to each other. And then we got a Dredge. 
somehow a dredge and get, makes it into a top eight with three decks that are definitely running Sanctifier and Vec in the sideboard. Yeah. Seems, you know, pretty homogenized, right? It's what, like three, basically three and a half decks here. Yeah. Hammer, Hammer coming in is like the known entity and like one of the best decks in the room probably and still surviving so well is continually surprising to me. Like it's that, that's kind of indicative. I think we've seen this in the past of like a, a very powerful deck is one that can win in spite of being a known entity, can win in spite of facing down certainly various hate cards and things like that. And it might be the kind of thing where people are relying on the wrong ones. Like just last week, you know, we talked about the power of something like Kataki's against this deck, or even something like the the concept of uh, Chalice of the Void on one can be really good against this deck. Uh, and people are playing a lot of Chalices right now. Because of the fear of the Cascade decks and you know and and the the super efficient uh, is it decks and things like that, but honestly, I, I I was like I said I was playing I played against a turn two Chalice on one and a turn three Kataki just this weekend, and I had enough like I had already done enough where it's like okay well I can pay for this hammer and like and then I you know just pay and pay for this uh, construct. And just to just get there with like the additional mana you have through cards like Springleaf Drum and just having enough mana to do so. And then like when Urza Saga pops, it puts the artifact onto the battlefield. And then you can equip it with Sigarda's Aid. You can equip it with the Paladin, Pure Seal Paladin. And it's just, you have ways to get around the hate because you're so hyper-efficient. And that's just the case of a lot of decks right now, I think. It's just like you have to have the right hate at the right time. And sometimes the the more broad hate that you think is going to be good enough might not be. Right. Speaking of hate, I, I'd love to take a second to talk about what hate we do think is most effective. Because I don't think it's like a braid and disenchant. I don't think you can one for one with Hammer because of Lurus and because of Urza Saga and Stoneforge, like they can just grind forever and really yeah. continue to pose huge threat in the mid to late game. Yeah. I mean, if we're on the topic, like I've, I've sort of come around to just being like, if you have wraths, I'm not happy. Yeah. If you, if you have wraths, I, I can't really play around them. Uh, you're not, I'm not going to get a lot of value off of my Lurus either. Cause you're going to have removal, you know, saved up because you three for one me or four for one me. Like I got wear teared a couple times uh, against like a four color control deck that was brutal. Like they had the two for ones against me, right? And those are the kind of the cards that I think a like a control deck, while of course typically playing on the back foot and not being as efficient as some of these other decks. I think you know we saw it with someone like uh, uh, with Gabe Nasif, right? He was playing sweepers again, and they can get the job done. Mm-hmm. I think those two for ones and or better are really important here. Like I think it's cards like Ancient Grudge and Force of Vigor and Engineered Explosives that are really going to carry you and, and maybe yeah. take a man for that matter because that can take <clears throat> a creature and um, an artifact. Don't count on a braid. Shattering Spree, that's another good one. Shatter Storm, I think, can even if if you can survive long enough to cast a Shatter Storm, I think that can probably be pretty backbreaking. By force. By force, yeah. If you want that budget. It also seems like K-Command is doing pretty well as well right now. I mean, that's part of the reason that these Grixis decks, I think, are around is because they can run K-Command. They can run it with Snapcaster Mage sometimes, and so you really get like two-for-ones out of that a good amount of the time. So I think you're you're right that there's, even with a card like Esper Sentinel, which helps a little bit with card advantage 
in Hammer, you're still kind of susceptible to two-for-ones because of just the way that the deck works. There's a lot of cards that are enablers in here that if you can get their payoff, maybe they go off the rails a little bit. But it doesn't seem to be still, uh, stopping the momentum completely at all. So we'll see what happens. Can I give you guys a little tournament report of my own? Yeah, real quick. I wanted to talk about what deck was missing from the top eight, and turns out it's the Cascade decks didn't quite make it. Well, it's because of me, I think, because mm, I didn't yeah. make You're doing- the cut. Yeah, so Stan, tell us tell us about this. So you qualified for the Swiss. And you qualified for the Swiss. The Swiss. <laughs> That's not a word. So you t- you qualified for the Swiss basically just playing, is it Merktide, right? Oh, yeah. It was for our deck dive on Merktide. I just played 10 qualifier matches and accidentally went 8-2. I was surprised that you switched. So first, let's talk about your deck selection. Yeah. I think more than just, so let's talk about when you, you were doing well with Murktide. Mm-hmm. Everyone's doing well with Murktide. Mm-hmm. Why'd you pivot into Footfalls? Couple reasons. Um, the reasons why I chose not to play Murktide was I knew it was such a known entity and I didn't want to have to play either a ton of mirror matches, which is my absolute least favorite thing to do in Magic is play mirror matches because they're just like 50-50 coin flips so frequently. Mm-hmm. And and really benefit the person who <laughs> practiced the mirror as often as possible. And I just did not have time to do that. And also, I thought that maybe people were starting to get wise to the type of hate that would be effective against it. So there's that. Let's let's speak to that really fast. What hate do you think is good against? Is it Murktide after playing after playing with it for so much? I think certain types of graveyard hate and um, you know anti counter cards. I, I knew there was going to be either a lot of blue decks in general. And I just didn't want to have to play a bunch of counter wars with like fluster storms and mystical disputes and spell pierces. And, and really, the other thing is, I didn't want to play a lot of long, arduous games either. I kind of wanted to get in and out as quickly as possible. And Merktide. Do you think Footfalls is that? I'm surprised. I think Footfalls is a it's a much faster deck. You know, like okay. like Footfalls is turn three, turn four rhinos, and it's just like, do we get there or not? And then if we don't, we try to grind it out. Whereas Tempo is like. We need to play a little dinky threat and protect it. And if we don't have that threat, then we're stuck in a super long game. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And you had you had reasonable practice with footfalls too. You hadn't had played like as as many matches, but you've been messing around with the deck. You took it to like F and M. You 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 played it in paper recently, right? Or is that all right? No, I was playing Murktide in paper, but I was playing footfalls variants basically since MH2 came out. Um, I did a couple leagues, ton of practice matches. I did a league in the week prior. I've also been goldfishing the deck a lot for whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, just to think about sequencing a little bit. <laughs> Turn three, cast eight <laughs> again. I did it. Every time. Every time. But, you know, sequencing can be important, I think. And, and that's what goldfishing can sort of help you identify. And likewise, I, I just sort of anticipated that footfalls, A, it's a little bit more proactive. It's more of a combo control deck where sometimes if I recognize the coast is clear, I can just, you know, play my cascade spell and hope that wins me the game. Um, and, and even though I... I was anticipating chalices and fluster storms and spell pierces there as well. I just didn't think that um, it was going to be as prevalent in the field. And I didn't think there would be as many mirror matches. So, And I was right. I didn't play a single mirror. It, but I ended up playing against Murktide twice. That's shocking that you didn't play a single mirror, though. I, did, I never played Hammer either. Hmm. I mean, it's... You well, know, how many matches did you play? I played six. I went 3-3 three, three drop. Yeah, oh, no. no. Now you started out three one though, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I went one one, and then um, I, so I, I I beat Merktide round one, lost to Adnaz round two, then I beat Amulet and Bant Snowblade. So I was I, I was alive for a while, 
And then round five, I actually got picked to be on coverage with CCR and Jarvis commentating on my match when I played against. It was Merkt. exciting. We were all we were in it. We got in there. We watched. It was great. It was so cool. Um, and I played against Merktide again, and I lost um, a real nail biter. And then finally, I lost again in round six to Yogmoth. Mm. Yeah, rough ending there. Magic is hard. Yeah, playing on coverage is also really hard. Yeah, how did that feel? Comes a real mental game. Wait, so well, first off. It was not live, but you knew that the match you were playing was going to be broadcast. Is that how it worked? Correct. Yeah. They they record the matches and then they broadcast it as soon as you're done to prevent people from sniping and ghosting you, which I think is a really cool system. So it's like the delay is 30 minutes, but then I also got to be in chat and kind of talk about my plays and I got to chat with my opponent um, and, and the spectators as well. Yeah. Got people trolling you. Yeah. And, and likewise, that, that was a nice opportunity to, to learn based on the type of feedback that you know, the commentators had for my play patterns. Cause with it, my hand was also exposed. So I was really yeah. just, I broadcast my screen to the stream. Mm-hmm. So that was neat hearing how better players than I might have navigated certain lines or situations. There, there was a moment, there was a very provocative moment in my coverage because I took game one uh, and it was cool. And then game two happened, and I had. Well, a, I want to talk about your game one win. The game one win was sweet because it was like, "Oops, all borrowers." Right, right. And you sort of like we were able to sort of grind through with bouncing and playing out borrowers and maneuvering to a pretty conclusive win. Game one, I think. That's true. Yeah, I got to bounce with some cryptics, bounce with some borrowers, and then just ride those three one flyers. Turns out three in the air, real potent threat. I, I had. Rhinos for uh, a couple turns, but eventually they were able to like unholy heat my rhinos, and I think they bounced one too. Yeah, your opponent did a lot of da- had to do a lot of damage to themselves with their land, so it hel- it helps a little bit when you're when you know you're going to have extra threats to be mm-hmm. able to keep putting pressure on them, especially since they have to put so many cards into killing your rhinos and that. Right, and in, in its own way, like a single rhino eating an unholy heat doesn't feel terrible. Because it's a token. Feels great. Trading for a card. So if they have to spend a couple of cards to deal with my rhinos and I have a um and I have a shardless out, like that's a lot of bodies that they're like throwing cards out the window to to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. So that happened. This this is an open deckless tournament. So I I happen to know exactly what my opponent might bring in against me. And I knew that they were on EE and Chalice. And something that had worked for me in round one, and I decided to replicate in my coverage match that made the chat go wild, was I took 12 cards out for games two and three. And those 12 cards were Violent Outburst, Shardless Agent, and Crashing Footfalls. So you took out the entire combo. <laughs> I took the combo out and I brought in like um uh endurances, bunch of I had four mystical disputes, basically banking on a control game for two and three, with the hope of totally blanking all of their interaction as well. And and in that regard, like they were drawing their EEs and chalices that just ended up doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But when your deck is called Crashing Footfalls, when it's called you know, t- uh, teamer cascade. It does seem a little bit weird to take those cards out. But but what do you think actually happened after you did that? So you did that, and then and you said it worked for you in game one. So in game two, they they drew cards that were blanks against you. Did you were you just not able to get there? Still, were your threats just getting taken out by the removal, or what do you think happened? That, that's exactly it. Like I just didn't. I wasn't in a position where I could provide a strong enough closer, especially against turn one Ragavans and Darcy's. Mm. I'm just going to say it. Darcy. Ah. Put a quarter in the Darcy jar, Stan. And Dash Ragavans ended up being a, a 
bigger problem than I anticipated for my deck. Um, not to mention if if they're able to hold up two mana counter spells, just they always had the advantage, and I was never really able to recoup it. Um, and and that's what happened. So what what do you think? Did, did I just have confirmation bias because that crazy juke? transformational cyborg worked for me and i got lucky i mean you love you love doing stuff like that <laughs> sometimes it's like better cute than good temptation right i think you should talk to some other people who've played a bunch of footfalls like i i haven't yeah. played that deck at all maybe you know and i i don't think that the commentators had played it that much necessarily you know and i i don't know um i think you should ask yeah so turtle power is asking a really great question because in game three i kept all the cascaders out but i brought in a few footfalls which Jarvis said is the worst of both worlds. And I thought that was really funny. I have to agree with that, I think, actually. <laughs> like, even not having played the deck before, it does seem like having no way... I mean, one of the things that's nice about... From the outside in, one of the things that's nice about Footfalls is occasionally you play a control game where you just suspend Footfalls in turn one. Right, and sure. then you play your lands, and you play your interaction, and then you get this boost where all of a sudden your threats are online. Maybe you have their board taken care of. You have a counter spell up in case they try to counter your Footfalls when it goes on the stack, like all that kind of stuff. With no way to cheat them, though, like with mm-hmm. that being your primary plan, it, it does seem like you might have a hard time grinding as much with this deck as you'd want to, especially against Murktide. You were playing Murktide, right? Was that Correct. Nice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that ended up being true. Just the suspend four is a lot. Yeah. And I don't yeah, think I fully appreciated that. And I was really just saying like, well, maybe I can suspend a footfalls on turn one or, or at any point of the game and then control until it pays off. But it just takes too long for p- to pay off. They see it coming. They can. You got to find them. They can prepare for their own interaction. Yeah. Like, I think one of the advantages of the Cascade deck, right, is that you basically have, like, what, like, rule of 12? Yeah. Sometimes more. And it's like, I, I, I know that whenever I cast any of these spells, I'm getting Crashing Footfalls. Yeah. And so you don't have to, like, rely on drawing one, two, three of them to pre- present enough uh, threats of rhino rhino threats uh to to close a game down right because you just sort of keep drawing your cascade spells and sometimes they even come along with a tutu for uh, for value yeah here's what i'll say in an effort to maybe save face a little bit i didn't feel like i was a deck master going to this tournament and i knew that and i sort of saw this as i was really fortunate to qualify in the first place my expectations were very reasonable and i was just excited to learn try to win but also, you know, test myself a little bit. And, and if I have to learn from my mistakes, so be it. And that said, one of the best ways for me to have learned by my mistakes was hearing the coverage. And not just in hearing their reactions to my sideboard plans, but even hearing them talk through my sequencing and sort of what my opponents were capable of versus what I was capable of and, and how I can sort of have made different choices throughout the game. So I learned a lot, not just from playing the deck, but also hearing people talk about my play. And in that regard... Being on coverage, even though losing doesn't feel good, certainly while people are watching, you know, I'm, I, there's still more opportunities to win in the future, and I think I'm going to be a little better at this deck moving forward. I, I don't think you should have any shame about anything that, that happened there. It's really hard to play when you know people are watching. Number one, by itself, it's really, it's, that's hard. I mean, every time that I've played against, a, there's very few times where I've played against a pro player or where I knew that I was on stream with somebody where I felt like super comfortable when I was doing it. And like people, people make mistakes and especially sideboarding in competitive environments like this is hard. And you're looking, you're, you're trying to come up with a plan. And like you said, like you're not a deck master, you're not a 
day two tournament master either. You know what I mean? So it's like, it takes time to get, to get that kind of stuff on those reps under your belts. And then to have, to know that there are people there that are like talking about it at the same time is on extremely unnerving. You know, I, I could just imagine myself getting a situation like this and just like F sixing through a turn, which I do yeah. with frightening f- frequency on magic online. And just imagine that on coverage. So I don't think you should feel bad about anything that happened there. I think you should feel proud of what you did. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Great job, Stan. Um, sideboarding is exceptionally challenging. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that I find challenging is that modern decks are so tuned now in terms of how they're built. When I'm trying to figure out what do I take out of that game plan to bring in four or five, maybe six sideboard cards, it's just like, well, this is really challenging. Yeah. What is the least valuable card in this matchup? And it's just so easy to, to blow it and to feel like, and you like, you know, either you forget something that's like, oh, that's something great. Or it's like, well, I took out something that I actually needed. Like, like you know, never take out the uh, the shadow spear, right? <laughs> and you learn that after making a mistake once or twice. Where you're like, oh, I need that trample really badly. What I learned was never take out your one ofs, and also never take out your twelve ofs. <laughs> what if you have a pithing needle and they don't have anything to pithing needle stand? Then you can take it out. Yeah, you know maybe. what? I'll- but yeah, no, but. Great, great work. Uh, it was great to see you on stream. It was great to, you know, got some reps and uh, it was great to, you know, great to experience that through you. Magic is fun. All right. Anybody have anything else to say about the Mana Traders tournament or can we go, should we go on to Shane's broader uh, evaluation of the other Thanks, stuff? Thanks, Mana Traders. Yes. Thank you for putting these cool really, tournaments on. they're free. On. Yes. They don't charge anything for them. They're free and they have prizes. That's amazing. Do it. Do it. And then if you need to subscribe, use our coupon code, the dive down 2021, because you get more money when you win. All right. So as uh, we mentioned, I thought it'd be, a, that's, I think it's about time for us to take a mathematical look. We haven't done this yet since Modern Horizons 2 has dropped. Uh, let's take a math look, or at least maybe a pivot table look at <laughs> what the post Modern Horizons 2 metagame is actually looking like uh, recently. And by recently, I meant the, I, I did the last three weeks. And I think what, there's maybe, what, six weeks since, uh, since Horizons 2 dropped, mm-hmm. more or less? Because early on, we saw a number of these powerful decks get tested and get start winning. Asmo, Vengevine, Hollow One, Hardened Scales, the Cascade decks, these Is It Variants, Amulet Titan, all kind of stuff. But the last few weeks have really shown us how the format has started consolidating around what these powerful and popular decks in the meta truly are. Totally agree. I, I think you need those, especially with a set as big and impactful as Modern Horizons, you need those first initial weeks to test and brew and kind of see the potential and see what's better than it looks or what's worse than it looks. But really in these last few weeks, when we look, as we started looking at results and in our breakdowns, like it's a lot of consistency and we're starting to recognize these decks and the tech and we're even starting to recognize the tech that people bring in against the decks that are have been successful in the last couple of weeks. So I think this is a, a really good sample size rather than just like casting a super wide net where the data might be a little bit muddier because of that early brewing that yeah. happened immediately after the release. Yeah, we have, we have plenty of decks. And so the way I generated the report is I ran all the three one or better decks from the prelims and all of the top 32 decks from the challenges over those last three weeks. And I wanted to see what the stats were showing us in terms of what was winning and how they were performing. And how many decks is that total? That is a total of 308 decks. Wow. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty awesome. good. Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable size sample for sure. And you, and you might be kind of like, you know, well, top 32, that's kind of a big number of decks. Like, I, I cut it a few different ways. Like, I was like, what does the top 16 look like across all these, not the top 32? And what about not the challenges? Or what about the challenges and not the prelims? And then pretty much it all sorted out the same way. 
Uh, there's maybe a few percentage point differences between the two, but I think looking at all of them is kind of the competitive Magic Online meta, and uh, let's look at it. So you know, Stan read some numbers early on. I don't, don't want to necessarily uh, bore you with numbers, but there are fewer of them here because there's more of a consolidation than we saw even in the Mana Traders event. And Hammer Time's up top with 16% of the meta, so it's very close to what we saw in Mana Traders. Is it Tempo, however, up next with 143 so that's definitely a larger proportion of the overall meta than we saw uh, just this weekend on Mana Traders. Up next, just like in Mana Traders, we see the Cascade decks. We see Living End with 6.5%, excuse me, Crashing Football 6.5%, and Living End with 6.2%. So that's about 127 uh, mm-hmm. is uh, these sort of Cascade style. I know they play pretty differently, so it's not fair to lump them together, but you get the idea. Yeah, please stop. Rakdos Luris, 4.5%. Here's where it starts getting interesting. Okay, these are all those first four, first five are decks that we've known and talked about, and it's about 50% of the meta. It's about 50%. Following that is where stuff gets a little bit more fun and a little bit more weird. Velomachus turns 3.6%. The mana symbol special. Mana symbol special. Uh, after that, Jund. Also 3.6%. There's a few variants here. They kind of get lumped together. Uh, there's like kind of uh, a few Jund, Death Shadow type things. There's literal Jund. There is, I even saw like a new Jund collected company style deck that uh, did pretty well in just this Saturday's challenge, I think was there. So when we're saying Jund, we're both including Jund Shadow, Jund with like Liliana and Bloodbraid Elf, and maybe even Jund Luris. Like, Well, I think you, I think... I think Jund with Liliana and Bloodbraid Elf does not exist anymore. The okay. Jund that we are talking about is basically a far more efficient sort of Luracy style Jund, right? They have Ragavan, they have Dothy Voidwalker, they may even have mm-hmm. Torok because it can play as a two mana spell. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of being lower to the ground and using spells like Unholy Heat, using spells like Ragavan, using spells like Dothy because they're so hyper efficient and they're sort of joining the efficiency game. Where they're saying my efficiency is going to be both proactive threats and reactive spells and hand disruption spells and get the job done that Are way. They play an ignoble hierarch from what you've seen for the most part, or the the collected company version did because it kind of I think it wants to get to Coco as fast as possible or like some powerful three mana spells. So yeah, sometimes ignoble hierarch. I think typically not always in the more aggro style decks. All right, so those are and then three point six percent also is a blitz. Okay, so that's kind of like, we'll talk about, I think, a bunch of these decks after this, but is it Blitz? Uh, we saw kind of come out of the gate. This is especially if we had looked at this maybe three, the first three weeks, I think we'd see more is it Blitz than we are seeing as a tempo. I will also note that I'm getting these names from the metadata on MTG Goldfish, and sometimes the names were not there, so I kind of did some data normalization. Like, they don't acknowledge that Velomachus Turns exists which I think is funny. Like they call it like four, like it's just like four colors. You know what I mean? Like MTG goldfish does. It's just, it's just you W R G B or whatever it is. Basically. And then I know that kind of early on, they had some normalization issues between is it blitz and is it tempo? So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of weird overlap there, but you get the idea. And then after that, I want to give a shout out to five color elementals at 3.2%. So this is a deck that, is winning, has definitely increased in popularity, has increased in cost along with it. Uh, and it's something that people, are, I think, are starting to pay attention to because of all the pitch elementals, the ongoing power 
of cards like Omnath. Yeah, I mean, Canister won the, the challenge with that deck today on Sunday, actually. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, be prepared for it to go up another 10% yep. because of that. And then we got some old staples like Scapeshift. Grixis Luris is a 2.6% in the last three weeks, but we have seen it rise uh, on that. You know, on, on the timeline, it's becoming more aggressive, more compressed. We're seeing more Grixis, Grixis Luris. This is where some stuff also is interesting, where Amulet Titan, uh, an initial fear, I think, coming out of the gate with Urza's Saga is only 1.9% of our competitive winning meta. Humans at 1.6, Grixis, Grixis Deathshot at 1.6, Demir Mill only 1.6, not quite the terror that people are making it out to be. And then Other, uh, that's basically anything about 1.5% or lower, is 24.7%. Got a couple questions. Please. About this. And I don't know when the right time to talk about it is, but... <laughs> it's right now, Dave, because you're asking. Where is where's Asmore Decay awesomeness right yeah i mean let's let's just talk about what's not here let's talk about what's not here right there's there's no there's no food no food there's no asmo there's no tron adnaws there's no tron there's no niv there's no scales there's no enchantress there's no boros burn there's no affinity there's no affinity there's no blue moon <laughs> there's right. no esper control some of these decks are just either gone or didn't stick. Or they're just you know, they're, down in the 1.5%, which, you know, out of a sample of 300, just a reminder is three or four, yeah. right? So, yeah, so they're lower than what, like 15 other decks, right? And that's what's yeah. good about modern is that you can play one of, you know, 30 different decks and have fun with them. But in terms of the competitive winning meta, some of the initial fears abated pretty quickly real quick though we we don't have confirmation that this is the winning meta other than the fact that these are in top 32s of challenges right and these yeah, are and the prelims these are 3040s or 3140s in prelims exactly okay yeah. so i guess this is kind of a winner's meta in a lot of ways then because these are decks that have been qualified by wins right that's how we're getting the lists exactly so, interesting yeah, the people who, yeah they won to get there i thought it would be interesting to kind of look at these decks one by one, we've talked about so many of them, we don't have to get into the weeds on them, but I think what, what's interesting is kind of like est establishing what's making them good, potentially, and sort of saying like, you know, what what about these decks is making, is what are they leveraging from Modern Horizons 2, or perhaps from uh, more recent sets that like really is kind of bringing them to the top, and then maybe how you guys would think about your plan of attack against them. Because what I think is more interesting than just kind of talking about these percentages, right, is what do we do with this information? Where do we go from here? And how do we try to, if we can, think about sideboarding, building our sideboards, building our decks? Because if you're still building a deck in a competitive like environment, let's say you're going to, let's say you're going to do a prelim randomly. You're going to do a, one of the daily prelims. Let's say you're going to, you're going to hit up a challenge on the weekend and you're still thinking like, I need to prepare for food. Like maybe you don't. Like if you're still thinking like I need to prepare for even mill, like more maybe more than just a guy is blessing on the sideboard, maybe you don't because these decks are not necessarily seeing their way to the top. Like, do you need to play three blood moons to hate out Amulet Titan right now? Probably not because they're sort of like self-hating because the the presence is just so low in the meta and people aren't confident in bringing them to the to the tables right now. Of course, that changes. As sideboards change. Yeah, and also keep in mind that this is the winner's meta, which means if people are sideboarded against them, that might be why they're not showing up more in this particular meta. There might be lots of people playing them still. It's just they're yeah. losing because people are already sideboarded. So, yeah. I mean, that's what's mildly 
you know, it's it's hard to know unless you're like looking like deep into the weeds, like how are people constructing their decks? Like how many blood moons were in these in these sideboards and things like that. And I think that's that is a pretty valid way and like powerful way to kind of get, try to get an edge. But I think this is kind of like step one, right? Is like what's actually being represented, and then how do I think about approaching my game and approaching my deck building to uh, to fight the the meta that I'm I probably will actually see more than I'm just afraid to see. Okay, so. Let's, let's just look. We, one of the cards that kind of came out of the gate was Urza Saga. And I think we can basically acknowledge that Hammer Time is the Urza Saga deck right now. And that's what's leveraging Urza Saga the most strongly, I think, because there's an argument that Amulet Titan gets more power in a vacuum off of Saga popping, because then you go get your Amulet of Vigor, put it on the battlefield. But Titan, I think, has more powerful hate cards against it that you know, like Blood Moon, of course, right? Or, and it doesn't necessarily present the same array of threats that like Hammer is doing throughout the game. Um, and I think that that is just kind of like the edge that Hammer is getting right now, is not only is it presenting a, a bundle of threats and a potential combo kill, but like it now can has an attrition game through Urza Saga. And I think that's just kind of why it's probably the tier 0.5 deck right now, is that it's just presenting these these multiple angles of attack. And that's kind of one of the characteristics of decks that we have seen win over and over again. I think not only that, but people are still learning how to deal with it. Right? I don't Probably. think people are necessarily fighting it as uh, optimally as they could. Because if you like if we look at the mana traders results and I'm sure if you look at the results in in your data like how many shatterstorms are we looking at? Like we 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 do see some shattering sprees and they've been spiking in price as a result, but I think that there's just like a lot of decks missing that type of widespread artifact hate to to deal with something as artifact heavy as this is yeah i mean i think people continue to sort of not represent enough cards like let's say you know engineered explosives is out there a lot sometimes people even main decking them but i right. think people are sleeping on options like that i think you know like i talked about earlier on is that i think the the sideboard construction right now is like it always is is stretched in modern and so i think one of the goals that i have when i look at charts like this is how do i narrow down my sideboard like, how do I think about what I'm actually going to face? How do I think about my matchups and say, okay, I need to think about this matchup a lot more than this matchup. And if I get hosed by it, that's not great. But right now I need to think about the mirror. I got to think about is it decks. I got to think about cascade decks and maybe some control type strategies and, you know, things like that. So it's, I think like you said, Stan, is like, even with the, the popularity of a deck like Hammer is how do you fight it? And it might not be the way you think it is. It might not be Kataki, even though like two weeks ago I was like, Kataki seems pretty good against it, but you only need a few artifacts to win. And if you can pay for them, you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Is a Tempo a little well, bit. Wait, wait, before we get off Hammer. Okay. So I'm thinking about other decks. So I, I just sent off a huge buy list, let's say, to, to Card Kingdom. And that's not I, like you at all, dude. It's not like me at all. And it's a bunch of card, you know. Trying to trade, thinking about getting some store credits. I have Urza Sagas already. Do you think I should be looking at this deck to get, or should I not? Should Do you like playing decks like this? I mean, I like to play Prowess, and I haven't played a lot of In fact, I don't know if this is really a great analog to either one of those, but it is kind of like a creature synergy aggro deck that is pretty cool. You know, I already have Stoneforge Mystic, 
I just don't have pure seal. I mean, do you think this is a deck you would buy into? Does it have an up arrow next to it? Do you think that having a target on its back is gonna is gonna cause problems? I can't. I mean, the deck like this is like if it gets better, that's really bad, right? Like that, that's like going from fourteen to fifteen, you know, to sixteen percent up to like twenty, and continuing to stay where it is is the kind of thing that people are gonna figure out ways to to hate it. Like maybe maybe we'll see the return of like more sweepers. Maybe we'll see the return of control and control decks that are like I can't rely on point removal. I've got to start thinking about supreme verdict again. I got to start thinking about wrath of god again or things like that, or yeah. even like even things like anger of the gods, which is not going to hit a, a hammer. Like you know that's a, a problem because it doesn't hit a card wearing a hammer. But that's probably going to be a suite of other things. Like you're going to have maybe an abraid, or maybe you're going to have a wear terror, or maybe you're going to have just some kind of a, a path to exile or a prismatic ending. So it's the kind of thing like maybe just people need to s- stop thinking about efficiency sometimes and rely on power. And that's an interesting balance. Like right is like what's is efficiency always better than just raw power? And for maybe cryptic command, maybe that's the issue where like that four mana spell is not as powerful as it needs to be right now. But maybe something like uh, a number of what three mana black wraths or four mana wraths or a card like dam, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like it can be point removal and a sweeper. Mm-hmm. Why not? That can be played in Mardu. I think it is played in like the Mardu decks, right? Like in the sideboard from time to time. I didn't notice that yet, but maybe. All right. So why don't we go on to is it? Yeah, I want to. I want to hear from you all. Because you play this deck more than I do, these these type of is it tempoy decks, right? It's like I still don't feel like we have a really good answer on what hates it. Like what it's not it's not just graveyard hate. It's is it just like people need to be playing smarter removal? Like they need to be playing path and not prismatic ending? Do they need to be doing something else? Like more counter magic, more fluster storms? Like what, what should we be doing? I mean, I think what we're seeing is two things. Like one is the Mardu slash Rakdos Luris slash Grixis Luris decks even are all starting to pack. Um, they're all packing Terminate now. A couple of weeks ago, they weren't. Mm-hmm. I don't think that makes this deck instantly bad, but it was kind of a hard out um, originally against those decks With when you played a Murktide Regent, and now they have a card that actually kills it. So I think that the metagame's adjusted a little bit in that sense, but I think you know everywhere, everywhere you look as far as results go, this deck is still doing fine. It, it put two decks in the top eight at Mana Traders. You know, I'm looking at the Modern yeah. Super Qualifier top eight that just came in, and there's one in the top eight of that. There's three Grixis Darcy decks in that top eight that maybe we should talk about, including piloted by TSP Gendrick. But anyway, um, I think that this deck is still really good and fine. And this is probably the, the deck that I have the most of in modern right yeah. now. I have this and Rakdos Luris, and by proxy, I also have Mardu Luris and Grixis Luris then. Um, I think this deck is good. I, I, I think, but I do think graveyard hate is hard against it. I think hard creature removal is stuff that you want to have against it. And I think good counter, good efficient counter spells are good in what you want against this stand. Also engineered explosives and chalice of the void, like chalice on one is really good because it, it messes up with two thirds of your threats. Eight cards are uncastable. Um, and, and likewise, EE will clear a board sometimes if you overcommit to Darcy. And then sometimes a single bounce spell like Sealer Removal is enough to deal with Murktide. So even though we're seeing yeah. Terminate as a, as a great answer to Murktide, um, there's one mana answers to it as well. Well, and also, yeah. and then those ones are recurrable by Luris, so there's even more right. reason for them to play it. Yeah, exactly. So It's just like, is it tempo is so hyper efficient right now right like it's just like the only three mana spell in the list i was looking at was like a single tin copy of archmage's charm everything is one and two it's it's just and then it spits out of course the uh the murktide is not but you don't cast it for a lot of mana typically and so it's just like it's it's truly getting to that point where people are calling this a legacy deck in modern right and so but maybe that's a weakness like stan said like we we can you can attack 
uh, a CMC that's consolidated around one. You can tack threats that are consolidated around one and uh, just hope to get rid of the murtides through direct removal. And Stan, we talked about crashing footfalls. We kind of talked about this. Yeah. Well, we did we talk about it a lot. But like, we're still seeing these these cascade decks. We're seeing living in, we're seeing crashing footfalls. Stan, how do you how do you think people can most successfully fight what you're trying to do? It's actually a pretty similar plan as Merktide. And I think that's something that's really interesting about the current environment is that there's a lot of hate that goes both ways, um, even though the decks are so different. But the ways to hate on footfalls is like bounce spells or fatal push for the rhino tokens, chalice to the void or engineer explosive on zero, again, to deal with rhinos, because rhinos are the strongest threat by a pretty wide margin. Um, and uh, like spell pierce or fluster storm, um, or really any counter magic for whatever you cascade into, which is rhinos. Yeah, I gotta say. After watching this deck playing against these decks, I'm just going to lump Living End in here right now, too, just really quickly. There's, especially since they're just next to each other and the meta split, again, in this broader one, including Mana Traders, I used to think that this deck was kind of like a one-trick pony. And really, it's like, I'm not going to call it Splinter Twin, but it's more like a interactive deck with a combo finish, I think, than it is just a combo deck you know what i mean like i've been really impressed by the lines that i've seen players with this play you know watching some of the mana traders coverage and playing against players like this just all the decisions that they think about when they're supposed to cascade the fact that violent outburst lets you cascade at instant speed and shardless doesn't you know the fact that you get to play subtlety in this deck like there's a lot of decisions going on in here i really think that this is more of a I almost think that this is like the control deck of the format in some ways because it's it's answers plus like a an efficient threat package and not um really like a straight up combo deck but I, I don't know what do you think about that stan like i think even though the interaction is expensive it's still good and you have a lot of options of what you can do when you're playing these yeah it's even though it kind of just folds to graveyard hate really hard it's pretty specific graveyard hate like they really need to play Rest in Peace or Leyline or like Sanctifier Invect doesn't cut it because they have a bunch of blue creatures in, in their graveyard too. Yeah. And even Crashing Footfalls is different too, though, right? Because it, it's not, it's susceptible to different hate. So both of these right. decks are susceptible to different kinds of hate. But I think I've been, I've been impressed by the amount of interaction and how good it is in Crashing Footfalls. And I guess Living End's a little different. Like they, they do yeah, tend to pack a little bit less interaction than, than Footfalls does by kind of a long shot. But right, their they do have is, more options is, for their play patterns than it seems like they do when you first look at these decks. Totally. They're, the, the interaction in Living End is grief. And right. the interaction is Footfalls, it's adventure spells and like fury and endurance out of the board well and fire and ice and, and oh you're right yeah fire and ice and and, force and negation. commands and force and negation like there's a lot of stuff going on especially in the footballs deck. this is another deck that now i'm also thinking about building because i have a bunch of the, the core cards for this but i do not have um you know i don't actually have crashing footballs or or whatever but oh i got those when they were like a quarter yeah well <laughs> nice. they're not now too they're much more than, than that. that now I think they're like a $5 card now. Yeah. But still, yeah. that's a pretty big return. What is that, like a thousand percent? A thousand zillion percent. God, I should have bought more. It's a big yeah. return, thousand percent. The uh, But I, I, I only bring it up by manner of saying that I don't think you should dismiss these decks as just like one-trick ponies. I think there's a lot going on in the in the actual yeah. gameplay. I don't have like a lot 
to bring to the table about like preparing for decks like Rakdos Luras, for preparing against decks like Velamachus Turns and, and Jund and things like that. Uh, do you ha- do you all have anything that pops immediately to mind about some of these strategies? Like I know Dave, you were playing uh, the Rakdos Luras a bit. I mean, I think that it's graveyard hate and uh, efficient creature two for ones are, are really good against all these Luracy decks. You know, graveyard hate is good because it's good against DRC and it turns off Luris as well, but you know, bringing it in just for Luris isn't that great. But if you bring it in for DRC and Luris, then it's pretty good. And also, you know, the, the de- versions of this that have blue in them now have Snapcaster Mage as well. So that turns it off as two. They have Kroxa, which gets turned off as well. So there's, there's a lot going on there with, with graveyard hate. That's the main thing I would think about other than if you're just going to like have a bunch of removal that just kills all their threats, because that's hard to come back from, from these decks, uh, especially if you can keep them off Luris. Let's uh, let's talk briefly about what's not here that you all are kind of upset about or depressed about or don't care about. Like it's just so weird to me that like Burrow's Burn is just almost not a thing anymore. Like it just was here for so long. Uh, yeah, but it's not a it's not a thing in these metas. But then we look at the eighteen plus archetype breakdown from Mana Traders, yeah. and there's two there's two red white. Burn decks in that. This is another breakdown from Bamzing that we didn't talk about, but it's in the notes that he shared with the world. Two burn decks got 18 plus points in this tournament this weekend. So people could be sleeping, just not playing it. I think people are sleeping on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, another like notable- thing that can win. Yeah. Yeah, especially because it can be a Luris deck as well. And P. Sully posted a really interesting list that was using Pyrite Spell Bombs as, as your Luris engine. I think in addition to Bobble, but no, it, it was even without Bobble. It was just Luris plus Spell Bombs. And I think even the Spell Bombs are on the side. So I think game one, you're you're doing the typical burn thing. And then games two and three, you can grind a Luris plan, especially against people who may have like incidental life gain. I guess, I mean, I'm sad to see Tron kind of toast it's just not keeping up right now, but there's always options for trying to get something that's going to turn the corner. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know what's gone on with that. I mean, I guess that these decks, you know, it might be the efficiency of a lot of di- different decks playing so many counter spells that make it kind of, you know, counter spells that also come with really cheap threats that make it hard for trying to keep up. I'm not. I'm not sure why. It wouldn't be good in this particular meta. It's not like there's everybody's running around with a lot of Blood Moon. It's not like everybody's running around with a bunch of like uh, Void Mirrors. Like some people have Void Mirrors, but not everybody does. Stan, I think so. I think it's a couple things. We are seeing a fair number of both Blood Moon and Alpine Moons to deal with Urza Saga. A eh? mm, we're seeing true. a ton of counter spells, and I think just like OG counter spell is really strong against Tron. Yep. Especially when you have decks that play like a turn one or a turn two threat that gets huge. There's also a lot of force negation around, which, you know, can can get a planeswalker if that's yeah. what their payoff turns out being. Yeah, and I think we're kind of forgetting about just some of the super efficient, like broad interaction. Like prismatic ending sucks. Like you just get your you get your uh your expedition map. Right. You mm-hmm. get your uh you get your chromatic effect just prismatic ended and you're just like well i have nothing to do about that i also have a hunch that tron probably just cannot beat hammer like ever i mean it's like in fact O-Stone. Right? like just like o-stone like hammer's not always that fast it's like a grindy deck like of course you do have combo wins but those, i think <clears> those are actually less frequent than the grindy wins now mm-hmm. but like yeah it's just like it's i don't think you can beat the rest of the room and then of course you can just sideboard in some prismatic endings as hammer and then you take take care of that map, take care of that prismatic, and then you're just good to go for a while because you just take them off of Tron. 
what do you think about what we're looking at here? Like, what do you think about this meta? Like, are you okay with like a, you know, one, two, three, six decks in the competitive ish meta taking up off 50%. I mean, we saw a little bit more in the mana traders meta, but in terms of the past three weeks, we're not seeing a huge variety of decks make up the, the majority of the meta. And do you think, I think, I think personally there's still room. I think that this is a balance that will that shake out over time. Like, I think we're going to see the, the back and forth more like that. We were seeing the up, the upswing of Grixis Luris will may mean a downswing of something else. How about you all? I think there's a lot of room still too. I mean, these, these cards are really good, but I feel like in some ways I feel like the mana traders meta is closer to what the meta should be. I think mill should be, being played more than than this prelim and challenge meta indicates not played more maybe maybe played more but also should be a little bit more successful than what it is here you know i think that five color elementals is going to get more popular like we talked about i think that you know gris luris is probably going to get bigger i mean i uh i i still feel like we people are going to start to get annoyed with hammer hammer tempo footfalls if somebody doesn't solve a deck that's really good against all three of those uh, right now, or at least has a good matchup against two of them and, and can kind of take some metagame share away from them to kind of push against it. I'm not, I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what the hero we need right now is, but I feel like there's something out there potentially. Well, isn't it yellow hats, bad just guy deck. It's certainly on the list of things I think people could consider, but those, those kind of decks are not easy to play. And so I'm not sure if a ton of people are going to pick up just guy control you know, even though it's got a lot of options right now, but maybe what decks are you guys wanting to play right now going forward? Are you sticking with what you have or, or what are you thinking? Shane? I mean, I'm probably going to keep playing hammer till it's hated out enough, just because I really think it's, it, it's a very fun deck for me. Like it speaks to me the way it is. Like I'm, I mean, I, I also noticed what's not on the list is like there's no Yogg, even though I, I keep feeling like people are like, Yogg is way better than it seems like it is, but like it's not showing up. I think it's just maybe a little bit too slow for what it needs to be right now. I mean, we saw had some people in the chat that were at a 2K in paper this weekend and Yogg took it down. Now, of course, paper is very different from from online quite often, quite frequently, but, um, you know, it, it is suspiciously missing from everything. I, I think it's also tough to pilot because it's like ultra sequency creature combo. You can do some stuff at instant speed. Young Wolf seems great against both Ragavan and Dragon <laughs> Ridge Channeler, especially Ragavan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, that's that, that's actually what I would take to the store next, is because I want to play with it. Like, I don't need to play Hammer again at the at the store. I'll just take like Yogg or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I have like some magical answer against all these decks. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just I play modern to have fun. Like if if I'm going to try to spec a tournament, I might evaluate in a different way. But you know, winning a league, winning the LGS, you know, going trying to go three one or four zero, take whatever I want. So Shane plays modern to have fun. Dave, why do you play modern to win? Oh. <laughs> now, I mean, I I think you know I'm moving soon. I'm moving to a place that is actually pretty close to a LGS. Yeah, your your current place, notably far from any stores. Notably far from any stores ish <laughs> that you'd yeah. want to play at. <laughs> yes. Um. I, I'm probably thinking that I'm just going to stick with Rakdos Luris or some Luris deck until that gets gone. Mm-hmm. You know, see our last extremely controversial episode if you want to hear more about that. <laughs> but um, that's probably where I'm going to be at is I'm going to take some Ragavan 
DRC Mardu or Grixis version because I really think having Snapcaster ma- access to Snapcaster Mage, you know, one or two is pretty good right now. So that's kind of where mine's at. My mind's at. I'm gonna butt in here once more before Stan comes in, and I I I think that something like Griefy, uh, Reanimatory, like an Orzov or perhaps Esper, like uh, Spike was on an Esper control with like an animator reanimator package in it and that kind of stuff just seems really fun to me like i just want to play some of those cards and uh that looks fun so i'm I'm, everything's so cheap the reanimator stuff is so cheap right now it can't get cheaper like you're not going to get 250 (laughs) mythics out of modern horizons my friends for very long so get those archons of whatever's stan what about you well i've got Two decks sleeved up right now in my little double deck box, and those are Teamer Footfalls and Four Color Shadow. With like, oh, you have Shadow, okay? Four Color Shadow. I've, what are you doing, Shadow? I have Four Color Shadow sleeved up. Well, a couple weeks ago, it was the week before last. There's this one player who just kept going three one or four zero in the prelims with the exact same Four Color Shadow deck, and I was like, I have that, and I just thought it was interesting because it plays. Main deck seal of removal and goif and Luris bobble stuff, mm-hmm. and um, I might I might try to run that out. I do love playing. Is it Merktide? It's like one of my favorite decks to pilot in a long time, and I just didn't want to play it in in Mana Traders, but I would still love to play it in paper. So I know I can always turn back to that. But I should yeah, probably like a fun. That's a fun paper deck, right? Like you get to like manipulate cards a lot, surveil. Totally, yeah. I, and I think I, I think there's also probably some value in me sticking with with the falls for a little bit, just because I learned a lot over the weekend, and I kind of have an opportunity to master a deck more because I I have sort of that gap in my play right now. That's what I'd play. A lot of decks, all the cards. Stan, are you going to come out and play some F and M or Monday Night Modern with me sometime? Maybe. Yeah, I'll play with I'll play magic with you, buddy. You know, you're moving to the suburbs, but they're not that far. No. It's, it's a suburb like, you're very familiar with for various reasons. Yeah, I got married there. Yeah. Is, Dave, is it true that the reason you decided to move to this particular suburb is because when you came to my wedding, you kind of looked around and were like, This is nice. Uh two. Two things. One is that's true. <laughs> the the other thing is that we actually my my wife and I actually both were uh vaccinated near there and had to drive through there on our way back from our vaccination appointments. And we were like, would we ever move here? It's so nice. We drove through it. We've, we're both familiar with it. So then we started looking and we were like, okay, mm-hmm. cause you know, we were going to move to the mountains or we're going to go hide somewhere. If you left me to move in with Shane, I would feel so betrayed. I'm so tired of him stealing my friends from me. Yeah. Well, Denver's always calling people. It's saying, sup, you up? Hey, <laughs> you up, boo? <laughs> it's me, Denver. I got mountains. Well, until then, until we all move to the mountains with Shane, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episode as soon as it comes out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who provided feedback on our last ban episode. We, ne- we didn't know it was going to be so popular, uh, and it was maybe the most popular episode we've ever put out. That everyone agreed with everything we said. If you oh, like, yeah. we didn't make any new enemies or, or new, new friends. friends. It turned out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash/TheDiveDown. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code TheDiveDown2021, all one word, you'll get fifteen percent off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. 
Not only that, you'll get better prize support when you play in the Mana Traders monthly tournament series. And we know you're going to do well after listening to this podcast. So make some money while you're at it. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more modern!